Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And welcome to my time capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and that was my grandson, Natty. And this is the podcast where my guest tells me the five things from their life that they would choose to put in a time capsule. They reveal four things they want to preserve because they cherish them, and one thing they want to bury and forget for good. My guest revealing their time capsule items in this episode is the actor Josh Bolt. I met Josh when we worked together on the ITV comedy series Benidorm, where he played the son of the Dawson family, Rob. But he actually started acting at the age of 11, when he was cast in a theatre production of Much Ado About Nothing. This was closely followed by the films The Be All and End All, in which he played the lead, and Nowhere Boy, about the young John Lennon, followed by parts in Shameless, Just Henry, Accused, and then the part of Raph Greenwood in the long-running BBC drama Last Tango in Halifax. Most recently, he was cast as Dunbar by George Clooney in the TV adaptation of Catch-22 and is soon to be seen in Masters of the Air, the third in the Band of Brothers trilogy about World War II following the 8th Air Force, produced by Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg. Hmm, not bad for a 27-year-old from Liverpool, unless you compare it with Paul McCartney's career at the same time, where obviously it reads like a litany of failure. Still, let's see what the lovely Josh Bolt takes from it to put in his time capsule. Because I, I, I've, I've, I've really struggled with this. I've thought long and hard, and, and all of mine... Well, which, I'll, which I'll do in a minute, I'll, you know, I'll explain... Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's well, fine. Basically. I mean, we should do it, and then we'll talk it through yeah. and see how we go. I mean, because so you can cut and I can slice move things and... around. Yeah, I can make you say, "Yes, I am a Nazi." You know, I can <laughs> do all those things, and that's the end of your career. It's easy. <laughs> 
Uh, fabulous. Josh, it's really lovely to see you. So let's talk about these things. Let's talk about the things that you want to put into a time capsule. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's start with number one. Well, as I said, Mike, you know, I started acting when I was 11. All of my adult life, most, you know, I've been acting for longer than I haven't. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I've read, I've listened to a lot of these time capsules and a lot of fabulous actors and fabulous friends of mine have done it. And they've all sort of, you know, haven't really mentioned that much about the jobs they've done because mm. I think as well, they're a little bit older and with that comes more of a life experience. And so I've really sat and thought and I thought, well, all of the things that have shaped me, have been on jobs. They have been on sets with with a particular person or it's been a particular job that's, that's sort of made me who I am now, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, particularly being a child when you do a lot of those things, so you would be expected to be making friends with adults. This is it. The, you know, the, the, it's, it's helped me mature when I was very young because you're spending time with adults who work nine to five. This is their life. This is mm-hmm. their livelihood. And they are treating me with respect and like an adult. And so it sort of helped me, you know, that's what's made me. Um, so all of my things are, I, I felt awful doing it because I thought, oh God, I don't want to sound like a wanky actor just talking about, you know, all these <laughs> fabulous jobs I've done. But actually I really thought, well, no, these are the things that have shaped me. These are some really happy moments in my life. So, yeah, yeah. so number, number one, let's start. I'll do it chronologically as a sort okay. of, that's a sort of, um, I think, way of doing it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So the very first thing I'd like to put in was the film The Be-All and End-All, which was the first film I ever made, which was my first proper job. So I'd done a small play in Liverpool at The Everyman when I was 11 or 12. From that, I joined a really small drama group in Liverpool, which was an improv group of a Saturday in an old church um, run by this amazing woman called Cheryl Parsons. And it was a sort of extras casting agency, if you will. Do you know what I mean? Right. It was yeah, mainly yeah. like background work for Hollyoaks and things like that. Open auditions would come in. And so after about six months of doing this improv group of a Saturday, I got uh, sent to this open audition for this film, The Be All and End All, which was a very dark comedy about two teenagers. Mm-hmm. One of them, me, is, is dying of a really rare heart disease called cardiomyopathy. And then it becomes a, a black comedy because he doesn't want to die a virgin. He wants to get laid before he dies. So it's this sort of, you know, 90-minute film and about my best friend and this other guy trying to sneak a girl into the hospital or or sneak me out of the hospital and (laughs) hilarity ensues. And it all goes wrong. And it's, you know, so I went for this audition, uh, got it, which was, you know, as well what I love, Mike, is naively, you know, I was 13 when they cast me in it. I thought, Mm. oh, my God, this is, I'm going to be the next Bond. This is, I'm going to (laughs) film. You never know. But I... (laughs) um, but you, you know, I sort of was like, oh, wow, oh my God, like I've just done a small play. I've been pissing about in an improv group for six months and now I'm the lead in a feature film that's going to be on the cinema. And so I turned up to, I'd met this other guy, Eugene, who was playing opposite me, who was this other actor in the film. And it was basically just us two for 90 minutes. There was Lisa Tarbuck was in it as the nurse. Um, wonderful Scottish actress called Neve McIntosh, but no one you would really know. It was just a, it was made for a hundred grand. Wow. You know, so <laughs> low budget. It's terrible to laugh at things like that, isn't it? No, but it's, it's, it's really, it's so... really is. It shows, you know, just how much money is spent in our industry. Yeah. You know, oh, when you, you know. say it was just a hundred grand for a film, that's, you know, on lots yeah. of things, that's a day. Literally, that's, I don't get out of bed for less now. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, at the time it was like, all right, I did this film and I had no idea what I was doing. You know, I was just this young kid who wasn't trained. I'd done, you know, this play for three months, but suddenly I'm the lead in this film. 
And I had no idea of like how a film set ran. You know, you go in, you get your makeup and you you go into costume, you have your breakfast and then you go on a set and block through these scenes and do all this stuff. And I, it was, it was, it captivated me totally. I was, mm. it, it got me. It was like I was under a spell. From that, it was weird because I was 13, but I knew, oh my God, this is what I'm going to do. <laughs> this is, this is it. This is, I, I can't do anything else now. This is you're paying me to to act, to do, mm. to have fun, to mess about. Like, this is unbelievable. You know, and I had no idea what a best boy was or a focus puller was. Or I mean, I still don't know what a best boy is. He just sort of <laughs> is some guy in shorts who smokes. And so we had this wonderful three-month shoot. It was filmed in a, in a disused ward in a hospital in Liverpool, a children's hospital. Mm-hmm. And I remember one of the day I was obviously in this heavy makeup because I had to look like I was dying. And I'm, I went for a wee in this toilets this round the corner from the ward we were in and one of the nurses found me and was like what ward are you on son are you all right you know (laughs) so we thought oh that's good at least the makeup's you know worked she didn't say you look like you've got cardiomyopathy yeah in which case yeah exactly um the director (laughs) bruce webb uh has now become is still a really close friend you know i sort of became his lodger for a few years and you know when i was a teenager and Mm. it was just it formed this amazing bond and it was just this lovely experience it was a truly like i can't i don't want to i'm never going to be able to do anything else now i've seen this i've glimpsed behind the curtain of this world of film and tv and being on a set and being treated like an adult because it helps you mature quicker and then it became it was so sweet and poignant as well at the time because it was so low budget uh, i obviously needed a chaperone mm-hmm. and they couldn't afford one so my mum dad grandparents would take turns you know every day <laughs> someone was off they would chaperone me and they'd sit outside the, this little disused ward and just make sure you know who knows what you know a professional chaperone makes notes and keeps make sure he's had lunch and we were just, they were just sort of sat, you know, being there. Um, <laughs> and it was lovely. And then we finished the film and I was like, oh God, right. Okay. Wow. That was, that was incredible. That was a lovely experience. Mm. And then of course, about eight, nine, 10 months pass and they're like, right. Okay. It's going to get a cinema release. And I thought, oh my God. Okay. Oh, wow. Well, this is, I'm going to be James Bond. This is, amazing. I'm going to be on the cinema. This is it. Yeah. yeah. Not realising that, you know, it's a hundred grand, low budget, independent British film. It's going to mm-hmm. be on select cares on cinemas on one screen on a Thursday afternoon. And of course it came out in the UK and no one really watched it and it didn't really do anything. <laughs> but then Europe, the rest of the world loved it, thought it was amazing. Oh, brilliant. Thought it was this amazing coming of age story. So then for six months... My mum chaperoned me around the world. Oh, wow. Like collecting trophies. And it won about 15 awards. I won Best Actor. It won Best Film. And we went round to, we went to Rome Film Festival and Monte Carlo Film Festival and a, a Poland Film Festival, Chicago. And it was just this amazing, weird trip for six months of me and my mum going around the world staying in these five-star hotels, you know, going to these award ceremonies, getting given trophies and getting told. That is absolutely fantastic at that age <laughs> because I've never Googled you and we've never, you know, sat at dinner and gone, which awards did you get? Yeah, exactly. And I didn't know any of that. I didn't know so that. It was crazy. And, of course, by this point I was 14 and it was just such a, now looking back as you get older, you go, God, what a special time, me and my mum, you know, just the two of us. Brilliant. What yeah. a lovely thing for her. 
because I asked her, like, you know, a couple of weeks ago when you asked me to do this, I said to, I said to me, mum, I said, what would be the five things you put in the four good ones? And one of hers was like, oh, that time. Oh, lovely. In, you know, 2008, nine, when we just went round the world for six months to these, you know, <laughs> collecting awards and going for dinner with these crazy European filmmakers who were, <laughs> yeah. it was just, it was, it was incredible. Like, it was such a wonderful, that whole job was such a wonderful experience. And without that job, who knows, maybe I wouldn't be, you know, I might have just continued to piss about for six months at the improv group and then it fizzled out and gone for a couple of auditions, not got them and gone, this is too hard, this is stupid, what am I doing? And the other thing is that you don't mention, you haven't mentioned at all ever being worried about, can I do this? That's the joy of being 13, I think, is they said, okay, you're in this film, you went, great, yeah, okay. <laughs> and each day you would walk onto that set and didn't think, will I remember the lines? Can I mm -hmm. do it? Can I portray these things and almost certainly one of the joys of working with you is you do you absolutely just say the lines oh thanks mike <laughs> it's a great skill you just say the lines thanks mike but you do it because you started doing it when you were 13 you never questioned it you just do mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. i think because when you're so young as well there's a there's a wonderful fearlessness that comes with mm -hmm. being so young and naive and and you know you haven't been told if someone's cast me as the lead in a film, well, obviously I must be, you know, I'm not Laurence Olivier, but I must be doing something right to be able to go, right, well, what I did was right. And, and I've been very lucky to have just kept that and carried that on. You know, of course, mm -hmm. as actors, we have bouts of complete self-doubt and, oh my God, what am I doing? I haven't had a job for six months and this is <laughs> ridiculous. And, well, you know, but... It was, that's the first thing, Mike, I want to put the be all and end all in because it was just, from start to finish, the whole experience was just, it was just amazing. It was so lovely. And, you know, those, going around those film festivals with my mum at, you know, 14 was staying in this, having brunch on a port in Monte Carlo was like, you know, what, what are we doing? This is crazy. All from making this hundred grand, you know, low budget independent film in a hospital, you know, with Lisa wow. Tarbuck. It was crazy. It's brilliant, though. It is brilliant. And what I love is the fact that your mum looks back on it as fondly as I, you do. This is it. Because obviously at the time you have these things in life. That's what life is, isn't it? You know, um, you have these moments and you go, oh, that was nice. But you don't, until 15 years later and we're older now, we don't see each other as much. And you go, God, yeah, what a special thing to have shared with me, mum. You know, this, this. Mm -hmm. And the first job as well, this this first real dip for her to go, okay, right, you're going to be okay. You're going to be an actor. Okay, if this is what it's like when it's good, then you you'd be. Okay. It's worth so, hanging on. Yeah. yeah, it's worth hanging on for the you know the the months in between. Um, <laughs> so so that's so that, that's the be all and end all, my kid. It was it was. It was I wrote truly, the be all and end all. That goes into the time capsule. That's your. First I don't know. Time. You could just put the DVD, and I don't know if the whole thing would fit in. I mean, how big is the time capsule? I, don't know, I, I might just put your dressing gown in from the. <laughs> yeah, from the set, which I've still got. Have you? We found a box of all the props and stuff. That's gorgeous. Okay, right. So, what's the second thing? Okay, so we move forward a few years now. It's January two thousand and twelve, and I'd just been cast in a show which was at the time called Anthony and Cleopatra which later became Last Tango in Halifax uh, yeah, yeah. with the great Sir Derek Jacobi and Anne Reid. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was series one, episode one, the very first day of filming Last Tango in Halifax. And it was me and Nicola Walker, mm -hmm. just the two of us. And we'd met briefly in, in, in a rehearsal for half an hour and we bumped into each other in the costume truck and we'd sort of, but it was all very, you know, polite and, hello, how'd you do? Nice to meet you. You know, it was all very sort of, you know, <laughs> And then day one comes and I'm very, very, a little bit, you know, nervous at this point. I'm about to be Derek Jacobi's grandson. And it was a bit of a, you know, a big deal, at, you know, to get this 
this show. Didn't you tell them you were the lead in the last film you did? <laughs> <laughs> I know, I mean, you know. Um, so day one was a big, it was a big sequence, a big scene of, of me mm-hmm. having been told in the show that Nicola's character had murdered me dad and Diddy or didn't he? So it was very high stakes, you know, drama we're playing. And and so I got my little notebook with all my stuff in and I got in the car with Nicola and six o'clock in the morning and it's all very, you know, how do you do? How do you do? Oh yes, very good. All very official and professional and, you know. Yeah. Was, okay, good. And we carried on talking. And we got to unit base and we carried on talking and then we got into makeup and we carried on talking and then we got into costume and carried on talking. Then we had breakfast, carried on talking. By the time we got down to set about nine o'clock in the morning, we'd already done love, life, loss, relationships, birth, (laughs) marriages. And it was just this, I was like, Oh my God, this is this. It was like, you know, Nicola Walker at the time was, you know, 40 year old woman. And, and I was a 17-year-old boy, and regardless of gender or sex or age, we, we just became like this. It was like, oh, my God, you're one of the best people I've ever met. It was, <laughs> it was, it was so lovely. And so we, we carried on talking. We get into this Land Rover, and she had to drive this Land Rover across the Yorkshire Moors all day, back and forth, 10 hours, doing this scene and doing this camera angle and that camera angle. And, mm-hmm. and it was... One of the nicest, most precious days I've ever had. And that's the word I'll use. It was precious. It was one of the most mm. precious days on a film set or a TV set I've ever had. It was, and uh, we just immediately fell in love with each other. Well, I fell in love with her. I don't know if it's reciprocated. I hope it is. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but it was just like this, oh my God, this woman's incredible. This, this, she is just, she's so lovely. She's so nice. We sort of, mm. and it was really nice going into this, from then on, this ensemble piece of like, right, you know, the sort of Derek and Anna, the leads, but it's a real, the show is really centred around the whole cast, you know. Yeah. Sarah Lancashire still calls it, you know, the best ensemble she's ever seen. Oh, lovely. I mean, that's a ridiculous cast, isn't it? I mean, it's it's just like, you know, at 17 as well, I'd already, you know, knew, I said it on the last series we did, we we took Derek out for his birthday mm-hmm. and uh, he made a little speech to us all, and which was very lovely, and I sort of said to him, the stuff you've taught me between you and Anne, Sarah and Nicola, if I could have... You know, an eighth of the success that you four have had in my career, that would be the most extraordinary thing. Um, <laughs> the training I've had from those four, watching those, and, and Tony Gardner and Ronnie Anacona and, you know, Rupert yeah, Graves yeah. and Dean Andrews. There's some amazing guest stars that have been in that show. But watching those four work and their different approaches and how just beautifully simple they make it look, <laughs> do you know what I mean, is... And to be a part of that and to have been accepted into that. And then from day one to have Nicola with me, we sort of created this bond where it was like, right, you're on my team, you're on my side. 2016, was that the first? The first one was 2012. 2012. really? So, and the last one we did was 2019, just before the pandemic. Good So over nearly 10 years, we've done five seasons of it. Um, Mm. And again, you know, I, I was set, I grew up on that show, sort of, you know, six months of the year doing this, with these people. And, and again, you know, Derek and Anne and Nicola and Sarah never treated me as a 17 year old. They never saw me as a kid. They just let me join in and, and encouraged me and, and always would give advice. Mm-hmm. But having that first day with Nicola Walker was just so like, right, we're, we're together now for this, however long this is going to run for. And we're doing scenes with Derek and Sarah and all these guest stars. It was just like, right, you're in my corner, you're on my side. We've got each other and this mm. mother-son relationship that we were meant to have 
just instantly sort of happened. It was, it was like, I'll use that word again. It was a precious day. It was just yeah. like, I mean, anybody listening to that will realize that a 40 year old woman, a 17 year old boy would be very easy for her to crush you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, totally. To take control of the situation, to say, I'm yeah. in charge, do what I tell you, you know, which in many ways, People might think, well, I ought to do that because he won't know what he's doing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? He's not done anything. And yet I remember the same thing as a young actor, being amazed that these older actors who've done loads and loads of things, and I kept thinking, I've seen all of you on the telly, you know, Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I've never done a professional play. I remember my first professional play, them basically saying to me, so what do you want to do in this scene? Wow. And you think, well, that's ridiculous, isn't it? In in any Mm -hmm. other profession, I can't think of any other profession where, in a way, the role gives you the authority. Totally. And it, it's nothing to do with age, which is why people like Derek Jacobi will treat you as an absolute equal because he knows it's in the role. Uh, totally. And, and you know, as you say, Nicola could have just, you know, brushed me off as a 17-year-old kid and just gone, oh, God, you know, this is a nightmare, you know. And, you know, she was just so... It was just this yeah, wonderful understanding in this day and she gave me the, the, the space to breathe and to just try stuff and and the encouragement as well. Do you know what I mean? I don't know. And she just, I just felt like she had me back and she didn't have to do that. And and and, and we, so we finished this day in this Land Rover and we, we're still talking away and we go back to the hotel and then I thought, right, it got to like seven o'clock in the evening. We got back half seven and I thought, well, she's you know going to go and ring her husband and you know go to bed and and she sat with me in the bar and this was you know I was seventeen so we had, we had tea and sausage rolls and we carried <laughs> on talking till about ten o'clock that night talking about oh everything like just ridiculous things that I was like that, it, um, at the time obviously I was seventeen I didn't know but now as an, ten years later you go God that meant so much to me it really mm. was so she didn't have to do that. So I think I'll put the red Land Rover that we were in on that first day into the time capsule. Whenever I see it, when, you know, when we did the fifth series and you, I always see that red Land Rover and I'm always like, oh God, that was that first day. And so I'm going to put her Jeep, her, her characters, Gillian, the character in the show, I'm going to put her Jeep into the time capsule for number two. Fantastic. That's a beautiful thing to put in. People say what's wrong with actors is that they just go straight in and start talking to each other about everything. My wife says to me, why did you tell them that? <laughs> and I said, well, you sort of, in a way, you get it out of the way, don't you? I mean, within the first couple of days, you will have told them almost every trauma in your life. Totally. And then nine times out of ten, never see that person again. But for that particular month or two, three months, however long the job is, you are like family. You are, it's it's just you two, isn't it? Or you you and the group, whoever the group is for that. Yeah. Um, and in a way, you know, you're protecting yourself against a situation where suddenly they say, okay, morning, you had your coffee? Okay. Now this is the bit where you sob. <laughs> yeah. And so you showing yourself like that, revealing yourself in that way, you've already done it and you don't feel embarrassed by it. Totally. Um, part of the thrill I get from being an actor and being on a set is the people side of it, is meeting these incredible people like yourself, you know, like Nicola, who and being able to be a part of that is one of the greatest thrills I get out of, you know, acting. Whenever I get the phone call and get the offer for a new job, it's always nice to go, brilliant, I'm back to work and we've got money. But I'm like, right, what adventure are we going on this time? Where are we going? Who are we going to meet? How close am I going to come to somebody? You know what I mean? It's just, it's the best. It's, I wouldn't swap it for the world. No, no. And, but I just would like, you know, that, 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 um, that day, that very first day of shooting Last Tango with Nicola that first day would go in there because it was just so precious to me and Lovely. still is. And, you know, yeah. it's shaped me into the actor I am and the person I am as well. 
I work with Derek and I have to ask you to apologize because I could not stop myself doing it. Every time I saw him, I inadvertently would start going, Yes, my name is Eagle Pig. <laughs> no, I know. Well, I remember him saying to me on one of the very first days, we were in a car, we were doing a scene, me, him and uh, Nicola and my line was something like, oh, granddad, uh, what, what, you know, I, I had to say the word granddad about five times. Mm. And in the rehearsal, you could see Derek's wincing at the word granddad. <laughs> And we did the block through and then they came in to set the cameras up and we were just sat having a coffee and he went, there will come a time, young Josh, when you will play the grandfather and your skin will crawl as well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at the time, again, you know, at 17, being a massive Doctor Who fan, I wasn't really aware of Sir Derek Jacobi's work. I mean, I was, I'd seen Gladiator and stuff, but for me, I was just like, oh, I'm going to work with the master from Doctor Who. That was the big <laughs> sell. Yeah. Naively and stupidly not realising, you know, the, the, the power he yields, <laughs> do you know what I mean, in, his, in the work he's done. Yes, well, he is the master. He is, he tru- truly is. Right, brilliant. Let's move on to item number three. Right, it's time for some ads, but we'll be back very soon. See you in a minute. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome back. Let's get straight to the lovely George Bolt and discover what else he'd like to put in his time capsule. Number three, we're going a few years into the future now. It's 2015. And I got a call from my agents to go and audition for Benidorm, mm-hmm. <laughs> the TV show. And at the time, I thought, well, yeah, I, I was up for a few things. I was up for Stranger Things. I was up for a, an American pilot. And uh, I just went in and did the audition. Didn't think anything of it, you know. Um, not realising me mum and sister are humongous fans of the show. It had always been on in, in our house. And I'd always, you know, I was an angry 18, 19-year-old guy just walking around going, oh, what, what are you watching? You know, not really. All mm-hmm. oh, right, okay, you're watching that. Um, so I went, went for it and uh, weeks and weeks and weeks went by and I didn't think anything of it. And then they called up and said, oh, right, Benidorm's come back. I was like, oh, right, okay. They want you to go and do a chemistry read with some of the other actors in it. Okay, so we go down to uh, Tiger Aspect in Shepherd's Bush and go in. And uh, I think at the time, well, it, yeah, Steve Edge and Bobby Nutt, the late great Bobby Nutt, 
were the only two that had been cast. Me and the mum and the sister, there was several actors in the mix. So uh, we go in and I met Steve and Bobby and there was me and another guy there. There was Julie Graham and another actress. And then there was about six little girls to play the sister. Mm. And we had this afternoon where we sort of went in and chopped and changed it. And they went, okay, thank you very much. That'll do. Bye-bye. Off you go. And I said, okay, <laughs> right, okay. But of course, by this point, you know, they, they sort of wiggled the carrot then. And I'm going, mm. oh. And by the way, you know, my mum had asked pretty much every day, have you had any, any feedback off Benidorm? Are they, is it going any further? And I'm like, oh, you know. So by this point, this is like maybe a month after the first audition, I'm going, oh, yeah, actually, I would quite like, you know, this would be quite cool to do. And were they saying things like, so you're all right spending six months in, uh, well, <laughs> you know, in Spain? <laughs> this is it. And, you know, because at the time you go, oh, it's just, it'd be another job, maybe great. And then you think, God, yeah, six months in Spain, that'd be, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, so, so again, about, oh, God, it was a couple of weeks went by again. And then it gets to the point where I'm ringing my agent up every day going, any feedback from Benidorm? And it's, no, mm. no, Josh. All right, okay. And then another yeah. week goes by and you go, any news on, I want it now. I really want this job, you know. So about another two weeks go by and then they called us back into Shepherd's Bush. We go in and I remember the day so clearly, I walked in, got the lift and Bobby Nutt sat there, Steve Edges sat there, on a Neefsy sat on a, a little stool and Julie Graham. And I looked at the forum and I thought, oh, this is, this is, this has got to work. This is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And of course, also, you know, you've got that feeling as an actor going, right, well, there's no one else here. They haven't asked the other woman back and they haven't asked the other son back. So this must be the, surely this must be it. And uh, we go in and we met Darren. We did a few scenes and then we went away again. And another few weeks went by and eventually they rang and said, yeah, we'd like you to do Benidorm. By this point, Mike had done some nice jobs worked with some lovely people. It was like, you know, those sob stories on the X Factor when the, the, the camera go in and see the parents. <laughs> My mum and sister, the reaction I got when I told them I've just been off of Benidorm, it was like I'd just won the X Factor. They <laughs> thought it was the most incredible. Oh, they were crying. There, there was, there was, they were screaming. It was like, this is unbelievable. The reaction was like, I was like, what about all the shows I've been in that have won BAFTAs? And, you know, what mm. about this? <laughs> and they were like, they were so, because they, they loved it. They absolutely loved it. And they were so excited to go meet Kenneth. That was, <laughs> that was, that was the, the draw for them. And uh, we go over there and so quickly us five became this family. It was that very first series, we did series eight in 2015. Well, that was the one for me. It was all brand new. And so Steve and Julie became the parents of this group. So quickly, just, you know, they mm-hmm. were just, and I became the idiot 20-year-old, you know, stumbling in and out of karaoke bars. And um, <laughs> Honor was this little sweetheart, 11 I mean, she is, she was just like, you know, it was, it was so amazing. She was 11 years of age. She always joined in on the sense of humour and playing the stupid games that we, you know, Steve Edge would invent mm-hmm. and we would play. But she never pushed it. She always would be like, you know, she'd join in, have a laugh. And then she knew when it was like... The consummate professional, isn't she? She, is, she really is. She was like a, you know, 60-year-old actress morphed into this <laughs> young 11-year-old. We've she, all had fun. I'm going to go yeah, and look at my lines. Now. Yeah, it literally was like, it was, it was, she'd dip in and out and do, it was so... And, uh, and then obviously Nutty became, you know, Bobby Nutt was this, was the grandfather of this group, was this, mm. you know, just amazing, larger-than-life character. Um with an amazing life. Incredible life, you know, and some stories and the people he'd worked with and met over his life. And so the five of us would have these, you know, 
Julie's had, had this amazing um, apartment that we nicknamed the Porn Palace because it did look like something out of a porn movie from the 80s. It was this huge, almost a villa on top of this apartment block with a pool and everything. So she'd throw, you know, soirees and we'd go and, you know, and then me and Steve would go to Nutties and have cheese and wine. And, and we went on day trips to, you know, um, Valencia and Alicante. And it, it was such a happy six months, that very first six months. It was such a happy, lovely... And the, the, the bond that the five was created throughout that six months, you know, Nutty had only a year before lost his wife. You know, he was in such a bad place. I think Steve's was the only nice thing. He had a baby. That was like quite nice. But <laughs> but, yeah. but still all these really big life things had happened to, to, mm. to us. And um, that first series, as I say, was so incredible. And I think with, with, with Steve as well, he's, 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 arguably the funniest man on the planet in my eyes. I just, he only has to do a look and it, and it, it kills me. I don't know. He's the driest, most intelligent man I've ever met. He's so funny. And what was amazing was you, cause I met the first time I met Julie, I was so like, she's quite intimidating. Julie Graham. She's, you know, she's a fiery, you know, mm. sexy Scottish actress. I was like, Oh God. And then she's like this, she's just this amazing woman who's so kind and yeah. funny. And she jumped into the, on the sense of humor bandwagon where she joined in with Steve's, comments and games and remarks and those days when we'd film in um, in Morgan's Tavern. Yeah. We would sit round that table, me, Steve and Julie and Nutter and Honor, and and the things Steve would come out with that then Ju- would get <laughs> Julie going and then Nutty would start and then I would howl uncontrollably. And I remember that the people would walk past, aren't like the extras and Darren or the director would walk past me like, what is and you couldn't even I couldn't even explain it to you now. I wouldn't do it justice. No. So ridiculous stupid games that you do that pass the time that at the time it was so lovely and you know steve sort of became like this older brother figure do you know what i mean to me and mm. we were mum and dad on set of course but then you know as, as we become close and as we became friends it was like well they're more like a big brother and a big sister rather than yeah you know. yeah. <laughs> yeah they weren't um, going to tell you off but you know yeah. you've, you've stayed out a bit too late or any of that sort yes. of stuff no yeah yes no. yeah yeah in yeah. fact the chances are in fact, I know this to be the case that Steve stayed out with you anyway. So there you are, definitely <laughs> and, a big brother. And, yeah, and Julie as well. You know, most more often than not, you know. Um, I have a fantastic memory of uh, of going to a karaoke bar with you two, uh, and I think a, mo- a lot of the other cast turned up as well. But do you remember that going to that karaoke bar when all those Welsh women turned up? Yes, <laughs> they're all in their high, yeah. high costumes. Yes, I thought, well, okay, I'm gonna. I'm going to get these women on our side. Yeah. So I sang Green, Green Grass of Home. Yeah. <laughs> and they basically all sat at my feet <laughs> and looked up adoringly as I did my Tom Jones. It was, it was incredible. Oh, it was, it was, and that was, I mean, this was the thing, Mike. It was, and you, you find yourself really, I do, de- de- defending Benidorm. You know, there's a big snobbery around, not mm-hmm. just the show, the place itself. And, you know, in, in my short 27 years on this planet, I've been very, privileged to have visited some amazing countries and cities and filmed in some brilliant places and everything goes back to Benidorm. There isn't anywhere on the world quite like it. No. I've yet to find somewhere. We had some amazing meals. What was that hotel in the hills of Altea that you took your wife to and and then I went to? Oh, God, yeah, it was fantastic. It was this 12-course tasting Mm. menu with different wines and also the octopus stuff with duck, and it was like... Don't tell anybody. Don't tell (laughs) anybody. Keep it secret. (laughs) And all these lovely little beaches you'd find, but then at the same time, this town that stayed alive throughout the night and you could go into a bar and lose 24 hours with some bizarre people... And then the next day, go 10 minutes down the road and find this little idyllic beach that could have been from anywhere in the world. 
yeah. that very first series, Mike, was just, it was so happy and it was so lovely and the, that bond that the Dawson family had. And again, it was another thing that shaped me into who I am. Those three years we did that show where, you know, for six months, it was it was like a family. You're out in Benidorm for six months. I spent it with those people. And, um, and again, that was another, they're responsible for shaping me into the man I am, not just, you know, the actor I am, the the, the, the human being I've become. And it was sort of a poetically sad end to, to, to the end of it we, when we finished series 10 and then two months later, Nutty passed. Yeah. And it was so sort of like, oh, right, well, that is, that's done then, isn't it? Because even if we did go back, it would never be the same because Nutty wouldn't be there. So something would be missing. It was such a big part of that family. It was just such a, a, a really beautiful six months, that first mm. series we did and, I mean, it's part of Darren's genius, isn't it? Bringing in those people he brought in. The amazing <laughs> yeah. guest stars on that show. I mean, yourself, <laughs> the late, great John Chalice, mm. um, Shane Ritchie, which was Whoa. hysterical. That was one of the last <laughs> days of filming Series 8. I had to knock Shane Ritchie out in the scene. And, I mean, he's <laughs> one of the <laughs> one of the most hysterical and craziest people I've ever met. Um, yeah. And then Darren would bring in these 80s icons, these like Holly Johnson, and then we'd have Madness and Carol Decker and Tony Hadley and like, what's going on? It was Mm -hmm. mental, but it was like the most fun I've ever had on a job easily. If you could call it a job, I don't, you know. But I mean, I I couldn't do that job justice, Mike, in the time we've got. I couldn't even begin to dip into some of the amazing experiences I had on that. But um, Mm. but number three has to be the very series eight of Benidorm and the Dawson family, Steve, Julie, Nutty and Honor. That has to go in there. Can I come and visit sometime? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, what what I wouldn't give to go back and do it one more, just one more time, just for like, you know, do you remember that? uh, We're going off topic here. Sorry, Mike, but you could, you know, (laughs) do you remember that stunning villa you and Simon Greenall were in? (laughs) It was ridiculous. It was supposed to be Tim Healy's. That's right. Tim had booked it. And then he fell ill, didn't he? And he couldn't do it. That's right. He was and uh, he said to me, um, you can stay in the hotel, Michael, or we've got a villa that's free. And I said, uh, <laughs> uh, well, no, I'll stay in the villa. Yeah, that sounds fun. <laughs> Turned up at this place. It was like a palace, wasn't it? It's like something out of a James Bond film. It was ridiculous. It's like a James was, Bond film, yeah. Yeah. And you and, and Simon invited us around to a barbecue. Well, he was staying in the hotel and I said, don't stay in the hotel, come and stay with me. Oh, right. And we had a wait of a time. We were two yeah. sad old actors going shopping together. <laughs> no, don't get that cheese. What are you doing? What are you doing? No, don't. That's not good for you. No, put that one back. Just get another bottle of vodka. Terrible. <laughs> I've got a fabulous photo of you. you. You made me my first dirty martini. I've got a fabulous picture of me and you having a dirty martini around this great ridiculous pool just sat. <laughs> but I'll never forget the image you and Simon invited us all for a barbecue or dinner and drinks or something one night and mm-hmm. me and Steve came through this up this like long acre wood we went up with all these golden paths and eventually found you sat around the pool and there's just a beautiful image I've got in my head of you and Simon Greenall drinking martinis around this pool going oh evening lads it was just like <laughs> You make it sound as if we didn't work hard. <laughs> and you just think, God, this is really how lucky was I at 20 years of age to not not only be working, but to be working with those people in Spain and mm. they're paying me and yeah. you're there for six months. You know, the truth is, Josh, it's always the other way around. It, it's always mm-hmm. us older actors who think, God, how lucky are we to be spending our time with these young people? 
<laughs> yeah. No, well, uh, that's so lovely, Mike. But yeah, it was, it was, uh, that has to be up there. I mean, we could do an entire podcast on the Benidorm, <laughs> literally. I mean, I don't know how much we'd work at ITV, would ever employ us again, but there'd be a full podcast within that, I think. Well, we better tuck it away in the time yeah. capsule. <laughs> Put it in the time capsule. Keep it secret. Yeah, definitely. Lovely. Thanks, Mike. So that's number three. All right. So we've got two left. So what's number four then? It's going to be Catch 22 which it wasn't the job. Well, the job was amazing. It was the prelude to it. So this was 2018 now. Benidorm had finished Series 10. That was over. And I'd been for a few auditions and it had been about nine months. Nothing had happened. And uh, my agents, I've been up for all sorts. And my agents had rang me and said, oh, um, we've got your audition for Catch-22. Mm-hmm. And I went, oh, Great. <laughs> I saw the breakdown. I thought, oh, Hulu, directed by, starring and produced by George Clooney. And I went, mm. oh, this is going to be a waste of an afternoon doing this self-tape. Do you know what I mean? I'm never going to get this. And so I did the tape, sent it off and thought, well, you know, that's that one, gone. <laughs> and then about two days later, uh, my mum called me and said, right, you, you need to come back to Liverpool. Your granddad's not very well. So my granddad had been ill for a good year. He wasn't towards the end of his life. He wasn't, he wasn't a well man the last year of his life. And he'd been a big, big influence on me and a big supporter through, you know, as I say, the be all and end all, he'd chaperoned me a lot. He'd always, you know, because then I got an agent and was going to all these auditions in London, he would always take me to the station and make sure he picked me up at Liverpool Lime Street after the audition that, that day, make sure I got home safe. So she said to me, right, it's not looking good. You need to come back from London. So I cut the train up. Uh, we went into hospital and saw him, me, me nan, my mum, auntie and me sister and my cousins. And we go in and we have this meeting with this surgeon who says to us, basically, there's nothing we can do. He's, he's too sick. There's, we, we can't do anything for him. Um, so we're going to have to basically just make him as comfortable as we can, which they did. So he was in this little room off this ward in the, the Royal Hospital in Liverpool, and we were like, right, okay. And it was obviously, a, it's horrendous, that feeling of, right, he's going to die. Um, and the surgeon had sort of said, well, like, who knows how long it's, you know, we're just going to give him some drugs and make him as comfortable as we can. It could be two weeks, it could be a month, it could be, you know, we don't know. And it was horrendous, obviously, of course it is, because we're all together and, you know, we sort of, with my granddad and he just sort of went, oh, God, you know, we were all very upset. And then it was sort of became this this three weeks with him in this hospital room before he passed. It became this sort of like we were just there every day because you don't want to leave someone because they're especially when you know they're gonna go. You don't wanna you don't wanna leave them. So the entire family was was there for three weeks. We we'd nip home for a couple of hours and then my nan would go home for an hour and come back. And and we were it was, you know, I'd sort of just said to me, I'm not going to London, I'm not doing any auditions, like, you're going to have to leave me. My cousin had come back from university. Um, the two kids, you know, the, my sister and my cousin, they were, like, doing half days in school to come and see him, which was so lovely of the school to allow them to do that. And we just had this, you know, the end of the first week, and it was, everyone's exhausted, and he's just sat in this hospital bed. And um, I think on the Tuesday they told us he's going to, there's nothing he can do for him. The following Friday, my agents ring me and say, uh, oh, by the way, George Clooney's watching your showreel and he wants to see a recent picture. And I was like, you know, in that sort of situation, your head's gone anyways. And it's the last thing I'm thinking about is work. I'm like, oh, right, cool. Oh, that's that's cool. 
Um, so yeah, bye-bye, bye. And then the following Monday, we had the weekend, we sat with him and Monday morning, me and me auntie and my cousin go into this, um, to this room and we sat there and I'm sat doing a crossword with him. And he was still sort of compass mentis at this point. And I, uh, phone goes about nine o'clock in the morning. Curtis Brown, this is, this is, uh, they don't ring this early. So I go out of the room and I'm trying to, of course, fighting for signal in a hospital. So I'm running around these like, you know, stairways and <laughs> eventually found a corner and got in touch. And he said, uh, oh, um, just let you know, uh, George Clooney's offered you a job. I mean, Mike, you know, when you, when I, you say I broke down, it was just the weight of everything. I just was oh, like, God. oh, my God. Yeah. And then here comes the, the sort of the Hollywood ending, if you will. It was like the ending of a movie. I then got to go into this room and my little granddad's face was there. And I said, uh, I said, oh, some, some good news anyway, Tom. And he said, um, he said, what? Well, I said, um, George Clooney's just offered me a job. Hmm. We're going to go to Italy and do this thing. And it was, honest to God, Mike, his face, he, he was just, it was, I'll never, for as long as I live, forget it. It was so beautiful. It was so special. Do you know what I mean? We had this hug and we sat and we cried and, you know, he said, well, I won't see it, will I? <laughs> Which was like, you know, and it was so, um, he was so proud. And the fact that I could say, you know, not just oh, I've got a job, because that would have been, it wouldn't have been important. It was the fact that, you know, I could go, George Clooney's just offered me this role. You know, I'm mm. going to be mm-hmm. working with him and being directed by him. And it just lifted the whole thing. Do you know what I mean? It was just because then extended family would come and visit us and he'd say, oh, um, go get a bottle of champagne. And we were like, we can't, <laughs> we're in a hospital and you're not very well. And now, of course, you go, fuck it, should have just got a bottle of champagne. But we didn't. Yeah. And it just made the whole three weeks of being with him. It just sort of, I don't know, we had this moment together before, just us two in this room when I got to tell him. And it was just so special mm. to me. And it was, it was such a lovely moment. It was sort of the best of that situation, if that makes sense, you know? Yes, no, absolutely. But also mm-hmm. for him, Josh, it must've been marvelous. I was going to say your granddad must've felt blessed mm. uh, to have his whole family around him all that time with that knowledge, you know, mm-hmm. we all know it's going to happen, but being told mm-hmm. it's now, you know, to have you all there must've been amazing. But then to get that piece of news, you get a sense of, well, things are going to go on and they're going to be okay. You know, it, it was so, it was when he finally passed, he went and we were all with him, you know, I mean, Nan said the most wonderful thing to me about two years ago. She said, well, what else could you ask for at the end than to be surrounded by all the people that you love and and, and that you've helped create? It was his family, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, look what I've done with my life. There it is, right in front of him. And of course it was so sad, but it was also this most beautiful three weeks. It was the nicest way for that to happen. I feel like that's what I've sort of come to terms with now, is actually, oh God, yeah, he didn't, you know, Mm. it wasn't something where we couldn't say goodbye. It wasn't something that just happened. It was like we had this really lovely, long goodbye but then he, he passed and two weeks later I went to Italy and did Catch-22 and, and we had a wonderful time and I thought it was like my penultimate day of filming and I hadn't mentioned, you know, George, George Clooney. <laughs> I mean, you know, I've never worked with someone that famous, you know. I've never seen someone no. famous, like that sort of, where he's almost like an icon, you know. But anyway, we had to, did this job and it was fabulous and penultimate day of shooting, I had a moment with George. He was just sat in his chair on his iPad waiting for the cameras to be set up. And I thought, do I say something or don't I? But I wanted him to know how important it was to me that he'd given me and my family and my granddad this, this, it meant so much. It wasn't just a job. It was, it was 
it meant so much, you know, at the time. Um, sat, he sat there and I go up to him and to George and he said, hey, you had, you had a good time, kid. You had fun. It's great work and all that. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's brilliant. Thanks, George. Um, <laughs> and uh, I said, I've got to tell you. I'm so sorry. I've really got to tell you. He said, uh, oh, what, what? I said, so I told him the story and said to him, you know, uh, you give me this two weeks before my granddad passed. I got to tell him you've offered me a job and and uh, it just meant the world to, to me and my family, really. And, you know, this has been, it was invaluable. And he teared up and he said, uh, fuck, man, that's awesome. And then he got called away and got to go and, hmm. you know, direct, you know, he got to, to go and do something. And But I just was so happy as well that I got to pass that on to George and just be like, well, yeah. I thought, fuck it, I'm never going to see you again anyway. Do you know what I mean? It's George Clooney. I'm never going to, like, when, you know, I haven't got his email address to be like. <laughs> For people like him, it's an ongoing thing. He knows he's going to go from one to another yeah. to another. It's going to carry on until he decides yeah. not to do it. He's not sitting there with the thought of, you know, will I ever do anything like this again? Yeah. He knows he will. But it's a brilliant thing that he also remembers and understands the joy of that thing, of getting that job mm -hmm. and being able to tell your family mm -hmm. that he's not lost that. That he, Whenever you see him interviewed, you know that he's not lost that. Yeah. He remembers not being George Clooney. Yes, 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 of course. I just thought it was a nice story and I just thought, oh, I hope he, you know, I can, you know I guess, and as it was, it was the perfect reaction. I was just like, oh, wow, great, lovely. It was a lovely yeah. closure on that chapter. Yeah. Well done for telling it. So, so that would be the fourth thing, Mike. Well, absolutely. What a gorgeous thing. Mm -hmm. So you've put those four things in from your career. And so I'm assuming you're not going to tell me about working with uh, Spielberg and Tom and Hanks. Tom Hanks. <laughs> um, this is the job I've just finished. This will be out in 20... Oh, God, I mean, who knows? It's Apple. It's amazing. It's like, oh, after the pandemic, you know, after after a year, eight, almost 18 months of sitting in the house and... Mm -hmm. They say, oh, you want to come and do um, Masters of the Air, this eight-month job and with, you know, Carrie Fuganauer, who's the director of James Bond, and Ryan Fleck and Anna Bowden, who are the directors of Captain Marvel. Do you want to come and do this? And um, Tom Hanks is like, <laughs> producing it, and you're like, yeah, I've got, a, you know, a window free. Um, so that that has been the job for the last eight months, Mike, which has just been incredible. Uh, it's been absolutely incredible. And I mean, it's the scale, the scope of it. You know, it's Apple TV, it's Spielberg. It's it, the the scope was like it was unbelievable. Like you know, it was. Yeah. Uh, the only downside to it was uh, I had to uh, have a really horrendous haircut for the last eight months, <laughs> which was uh, which was day one when Carrie, the director, called me down to set, and he was like, "Oh, uh, uh, we've just found out the the guy you're playing because they're all real. They're all real." guys these soldiers they're all based mm -hmm. on real people and they said uh, so we just found out the guy you're playing uh, was nicknamed the bald eagle <laughs> because he went bald because he went bald at 20 and I went oh right okay and I knew what was coming and Carrie went you've got quite good hair haven't you and I went mm-hmm and he was like would you be like down for if we like shaved and receded it and did like a bald patch and I was like ah okay so then I sat for five hours with this lovely makeup team and they, every morning, shaved. It's just coming back now. Mm. Every morning they had to shave it up and do a bald patch and recede it. But, I mean, you know, at the same time you go, well, it's, it's Tom Hanks and Spielberg, isn't it? I don't mind. Do you know how often yeah. this isn't going to come along again? Um, now, I'm just wondering which one of your jobs it's going to knock off if we ever do this <laughs> again in a few years' time, if you suddenly go, you don't want to keep 
Benidorm. And you go, nah, nah, fuck it. Yeah, I've got you. Yeah. <laughs> Me and Tom Hanks, mate, that's the one. <laughs> and then also possibly my wedding day, the birth of my child. Fingers crossed that'd be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that was what I thought, Mike, as well. You know, with these, with I've listened to a lot of people and obviously they're a little bit older than me, so they've had these amazing experiences in life. The point is you're not looking at these from the point of view of, yeah, that was a great job because I got to do that and it made mm-hmm. me this much money and it, it launched me into this. It's because of the human experience yes. of it. You know, this is what shaped me and these are the, this is why I put those four things in because up to now those are the four really happy, lovely memories that I've, that I've had. Great. Okay, well, let's look at one that isn't. So I've, do you know what? Again, Mike, I've struggled with this because I've been very privileged. Not, I haven't really had that, you know, not much bad stuff has happened to me. So the one I am going to put in is I, it was the most painful experience in my life, sheer physical pain. And I, um, again, it's a job. (laughs) Um, And it was this lovely Christmas drama for ITV called Just Henry. And it was the sequel to Goodnight, Mr. Tom. So it had like Sheila Hancock and Barbara Flynn, and it was these, you know, these lovely people in. Um, And I hadn't worked for about 18 months at this point. I'd, I'd done Nowhere Boy, and I'd signed with me agents and I mm-hmm. then was 15 at that point. And for like 18 months after that, I went back to school, did did me GCSEs. I'd been sent down to London for this casting, that casting, just wasn't, just didn't know what happened. And I thought, oh, maybe this is it. You know, I'd, I'd done a small play, I'd done The Beal and then done, I'd done Nowhere Boy. I thought, wow, this is, you know, I'm, I'm, I've just signed with Robert Pattinson's agents. This is really great. I'm, I'm off. Mm. And then just suddenly nothing happened for 18 months. I had all these amazing auditions and just didn't get anything. Well, also you're you're transitioning from being a child actor mm. to being an adult. And, and it's a difficult period. Yeah. So I'd uh, finally got on a part on uh, Shameless, playing a rapist, which wasn't my finest hour, but mm. it was, you know, it was fun to do something dark and horrendous. Um, and then my friends had asked me to do a music video for them. They just needed an actor to basically chase them through the streets of Liverpool. And um, we're doing this shot and we do this shot where I'm running and I'm running, I'm chasing after them. And of course I jump over this wall. And of course I went over this wall. My foot went through a grate that I didn't know was there. I carried on running and my whole foot just went clitching and just completely snapped. Oh, it was horrendous. And of course I, I, I'd never had any broken bones or any injuries at that point. So I was like, Oh, that's a bit sore carried on because we're actors. That's what we do. Like, you know, you carry on. <laughs> so I carried on running all afternoon around Liverpool hobble. It became more of a hobble towards the, the end of the day. I got home and my foot was purple. It was, pur- it looked like a purple oh. watermelon. I was like, well, that's not good. That looks, um, I think that's broken. Then the next day, the manager rang me and said, oh, could you come back and do, we've got three more shots. I was like, <laughs> of course you go, yeah, all right, I will, yeah. I'll, I'll get myself to hospital oh, on Monday. No. So I carried on doing it, finished it. Then on the Monday, was like, right, I seriously need to go to the walk-in. Like, that shouldn't be that colour. Of course, then um, it's broken. Then the next day, my agent rings me and says, uh, right, we've just got the lead in an ITV Christmas drama. And I'm like, oh, right, great. <laughs> <laughs> so of course we go down to ITV and speak to the direction of the producers and they bring in this doctor from somewhere and he looks at it and goes, yeah, it's, that's broken. So they've given me this like foot brace that I had to wear. And I thought, how am I going to do this? This is ne- never in my mind has been like, how am I going to do this? You know, the acting side of this physically, I don't know how I'm going to shoot this. 
but I'd assure the directors and the producers, because of course you do, don't you? Of course you go, no, I'm yeah, fine. I'll be fine. Of course I can ride a horse. Yeah, <laughs> of course I can fire a bow and arrow. It's fine. I'll do it. It's fine. Um, and of course we got down, I got, got there. The, the first AD had scheduled all this, loads of the first few weeks was just me sitting down talking. Thought, right, great. We did all that. And then there was one shot and I was dreading it for the whole thing. Uh, at the very end of the show, um, the guy playing my dad sort of kidnaps me and there's a big police chase through this steel mill factory in Leeds. And there's one shot where they wanted me hanging off a hundred foot building. <laughs> <laughs> so the day came and I'm thinking I'm going to get dangled off this hundred foot building now. And we go up there and there was this crazy stunt fella there because they're all mad. Do you know what I mean? This, this, these stunt guys, they're all like, oh, it's fine. It's only a bullet wound. Like, do you know what I mean? You're like, no, I can't. I don't throw me off the side of a building. So they saw this guy climbs down this building with no wiring on or nothing. He just hangs off this building and all the other stunt guys are going, what are you doing, mate? What are you doing? You can't do that. You're gonna, that's not how we do it. And I'm thinking, right, this is brilliant. He's got my life in his hands. This is this is going to be fun with a broken foot. So he gets up. He's like, all right, mate, right. What you're going to do is you're going to do like blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, there was basically a gutter on the ledge of this building that I had to sort of hoist my leg up and climb up onto the thing for this shot. Yeah. And it was the right leg that they needed me to get up. And I'm like, I can't, I can't believe they've done this. This is the foot that's broken. It's, this couldn't have gone any worse. No. This is an ITV Christmas drama. It's not Spider-Man where they can get a stuntman, do it all against the green screen, and then I can pop in and do a close-up hanging off this soundstage. Yeah. I'm on this ledge of this steel mill factory at one o'clock in the morning with this stunt fella wrapping around this tiny piece of rope, and I'm going, oh, God, this is like... <laughs> it was horrendous because the pain of then... I'm hanging off, not only hanging off this ledge, frozen in fear. Yeah. Then I had to hoist me broken foot up onto this gutter <laughs> to then pull myself up for this show. To save your life. To save myself, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not particularly frightened of heights at all. I don't get vertigo. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm fine. But when you're hanging off a hundred foot ledge with this piece of rope that, you know, you're looking at it going, is that really going to hold me? And we, we turn over and we go for action. And I didn't act, forgotten how to act. <laughs> didn't do anything. Because I was that frozen in fear, the director's shouting through the microphone, Josh do something. And I was literally on camera, just sat there going frozen, completely frozen. Going, I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't. They wanted me to scream and do the acting and be like, Oh, help me dad. Someone help me pull me up and all that. All I'm thinking of, I, I'm, I'm physically not going to be able to do this and I'm doing it on a broken foot. And then you've got to do the acting of like, Oh no, help me God, please. I'm going to fall. It was horrendous. It was the most pain. And eventually did it got me foot up. The pain was like video of Tom Cruise where he snaps his, you oh. know, and he carries on running them. And you're just like, oh, God. But yeah, the pain yeah, Tom was... Tom Cruise did carry on, though, didn't he? He carried on. He, he did, did the acting. <laughs> he did the acting. He, did. he pulled yeah, himself and he, up and he hobbled off. Yeah, you know. exactly. Exactly. This is the thing. Um, <laughs> and they, if, ITV were, if ITV were paying me Mission Impossible money, I, I, they could have got the, <laughs> the full shot. Um, oh, it was horrendous. And the pain, Mike, was, it was the most painful experience of physical pain of my life. It was awful. Oh. And I just thought, God, this is, and then you, I, still now I'll watch that shot back and go, oh, it just looks terrible. Oh. I'm shitting it. I'm not doing good acting at all. I'm just like, you know, you're meant to be hanging off a hundred foot ledge. You'd be terrified. Mm. And, uh, you know, what was frustrating was I was actually genuinely frozen in fear. It just didn't translate on screen because <laughs> I just couldn't move. I just physically couldn't act. And all I could think of was my foot's going to fall off. It was just awful. Mm. That was the one. I'd love to bury that pain, that day, that shot, that moment of, of hanging off a hundred foot 
building in Leeds. It's gone. We're going to put it in there deep into the time capsule and get rid of it. That'd be good. That'd be nice. The great thing is we may well have improved this thing. If it ever gets shown again, that scene's gone. Exactly. (laughs) And it was shit. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It was, I can't believe they kept it in. It was so bad. And you watched the whole thing and I was like, oh, this looks terrible. When they called you in the hospital and said, uh, George Clooney's looking at uh, at your showreel, you did realise that scene was in it, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> that was yeah. the one that got you the job. Yeah, yeah. That was you it. You rang me and said, hey, I've just seen this yeah. kid. He's unbelievable. He's hanging up. <laughs> 200, he's 200 foot in the air. It's incredible. He looks so frightened. And it's so <laughs> Honest to God. I wish that was the case, but unfortunately, <laughs> if anyone ever watches it back, they'll look at that shot and go, that is awful. That's some of the worst actors I've ever seen in my life. It's terrible. <laughs> okay. Don't worry, it's gone. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Fabulous. Thank you very much for doing this. Thank you so much for having me. You have been listening to My Time Capturable with my granddad, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and his guest, Josh Bolt. Thank you, Natty, and thanks to Josh for taking part. And, of course, a special thanks to our loyal listener, Justin Moores, who saved my bacon by being able to open this episode when I had, stupidly, saved it in a format that neither John, my son, and the producer of this podcast, or I, could open on our computers. As a thank you to Justin, could I suggest that you visit his Just Giving page, or Justin Giving page, in fact, a link to which you'll find in the description of this episode, and then pretend that it's a sort of Patreon thing, except you'll donating to Macmillan, which is much better. If, thanks to Justin, you enjoyed this episode, then you can subscribe to it on Acast and all good podcast providers. And while you're there, please do take a moment to rate the show, and maybe even a longer moment to write a short review. We'd be most grateful. You can follow me or my time capsule on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook, and you can listen to the theme tune, written by Past the Peas Music, anytime you want on Spotify. This was a cast-off production for Acast. Our producer was John Fenton Stevens. John and I are very grateful for your patronage and for making my time capsule the success it is. And let's face it, my family's history is not crammed with examples of us being successful, despite the effort. For example, my granddad invented the cold air balloon. It was a great idea, but it never really took off. Still, as he always said, nothing is impossible. Then again, I always think the people that say that clearly have never tried nailing jelly to a tree. So, it's bye from me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and... Bye from me, Natty. Bye! Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.